The following message is from King's Church 1066, based in Hastings, Bexhill and the surrounding area. For more information, head to our website, kings1066.org. Hi there. Um, it's great to be with you. Before I start, I want to recommend um, a book. Um, this isn't the Bible about what happens when we die. I wouldn't totally accept every single word in it, but I found it inspiring, helpful, and written from a place of great pain and great hope. And it's called All About Heaven by David Oliver. All About Heaven by David Oliver. So if you've never thought about, where do I go when I die? What happens when I die? Where, where does my, my, my loved one go? I think it's a very helpful book. As you probably guessed, I'm talking about eternal life this morning. Um, I love Jesus. I love Jesus with all my heart. He rescued me. He saved me. He's given me a hope and a future. I find he makes me a better person all round. I'm mad about Jesus. And I love uh, the Bible, which is called, it's his story, really. The Bible isn't really first about us, it's his story. And then when we read it and we, we find Jesus, we find we get a part and a place in his story, which is amazing. And really, the quickest way, the simplest way to sum up the Bible is good news. You know that, don't you? It's called the good news. Two words. But it's not the good news like, ah, two for one on my, my favourite chocolate bar. It's not good news like, oh, my team won the league this year. It's not superficial stuff like that. You know that, don't you? We know that. It's good news about, oh, how he loves us. This person came into history called Jesus, and from that point on, nothing was ever the same again. So, what we believe is the good news regarding Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and then his resurrection, which is Jesus' life post-death. It's good news for us, his followers, and it's good news for his world, because when you choose to follow Jesus, you get included in his life, death, and resurrection, his post-death life. And it's good news for his world, because it says one day he's going to make all things new. Jesus conquered our last and greatest enemy, sin and death. He conquered it. He went through death and he's risen. He conquered sin and death. So it's incredibly good news. And I don't think I could be talking about anything that's better news. It's awesome news. It's awe-inspiring news. And I get really excited about it. But although it's good news, it's good news in a fallen world. It's a good news in a world that is damaged and broken. And it's um, good news in a world where we experience pain and loss, which sometimes is almost overwhelming. In fact, sometimes I think it is overwhelming. But that's why it had to be such great news. So although I'm excited about speaking to you and looking at the hope which we have in Jesus, which goes beyond the grave, it won't be without tears. It can't be. Not, not now, not yet. And it won't be without pain for some. And I'm really aware of that. So John, if it's painful and difficult, why talk about it? Why not just skim over it? Why not just stick with the good stuff, John? Why go there? It's too painful. Well, I think there's three reasons, really, and mainly they're all to do with Jesus talked about it. Oh, how he loved us. 
he loved us perfectly and he spoke about what happens when we die. He wanted us to know. So I think there's three reasons to talk about it. The first one is for him. He has conquered sin and death. He holds the keys of death and Hades. He has conquered. And if you're in him, death, although still an enemy, it's like its sting. Well, it has. Its sting has been taken out and placed on Jesus. So when we face death, it no longer has a sting. It can no longer get you and say, ah, you sinner. That's the sting of death. You sinner, you're going to be separated from God forever. It can't do that because Jesus paid for us. So firstly, it brings him glory. What our Jesus has done on the cross in winning us a hope and a future. So firstly, we're talking about it for him, to bring him glory. Secondly, for us, it brings us great security. And boy, don't we need it when we face death. I don't know about you, I've never faced death before, so it makes me a bit anxious. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what mine will be like. It's uncertain and obviously there can be pain to do with the fact of leaving or feeling like you've lost someone. He's the good shepherd. Oh, how he loves us. What sort of love would it be if he didn't prepare us for, for the, the greatest challenge we face, the place where we can have most fear? That wouldn't be love, would it? That wouldn't be a good shepherd. That would be neglectful. So we need to talk about it because it brings him glory. We need to talk about it for us because... He has given us assurance and confidence as we face uh, death and life beyond. But more importantly than that, the Bible is quite clear. We're supposed to live our lives according to what's going to happen afterwards. The Bible points out that if we don't know what's going to happen afterwards and don't live for it, we can't get our priorities right in this life. It's not possible to live right now if you aren't aware of what's going to happen later. Your priorities got to get all out of whack. But it's not... Jesus didn't just talk about it for us and our loved ones. Jesus' love is so incredible, it stretches far beyond us and our loved ones. The third reason we need to talk about it is because we live in a world that has no real hope. And we've been given the message of hope. We know what happens when you die. We know. We're not making this stuff up because Jesus has been through death. So we need to talk about it because we need to be secure in our understanding and be able to offer hope to others so they might find the wonderful one who took the sting of death upon himself so they don't have to face it. So Father, I want to ask, would you help us to engage with this topic through the pain, uh, through the tears, through the, the, maybe the sadness of loss? Would you mingle that in, in a beautiful way with hope, with hope, with adoration and with worship of what you have done for us? Great. I think um, Jesus knew what he was talking about, and the best place to go in talking about death is to look at Jesus. And Jesus faced the death of a loved one, his friend Lazarus, and he faced death himself. So this isn't some guru in a cave somewhere talking about it. This is someone that faced death. And um, let's find where... This is what it says uh, when Jesus faced the death of a friend. Now, a man, it's in uh, Luke, uh, John 11. A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. The Martha, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord's feet and wiped it with her hair. 
So they knew him well, basically. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, this is for the glory of God, so that Jesus, God's son, may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Mary and his sister, Martha and her sister, and Lazarus. But when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to our disciples, let's go back to Judea. And they were said, like, you know, really, there's people in Judea that really hate you. They think you're, yeah, they're, they're out to get you. Why would you go back there? And so he had to prepare his disciples because it could be dangerous. But after he'd said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant just natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. So let us go. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Now, Bethany was not far from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the, in the loss of their brother. When, Ma when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, no, I know my theology. I'm a good Jew. I know that at the end of time when everyone's resurrected, Lazarus will be resurrected too. Jesus said to her, I am, taking the name of God, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are God's king, the son of God who has come into the world. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So they had some pretty powerful understanding of Jesus, didn't they? They believed he was a healer. They believed he was pretty powerful. He could sort of take away the sickness that was going to lead to death. But Jesus let this happen because he wanted to show, no, I'm not just a healer. I have the power over sin and death. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you put it, laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. And the Jews said, see how much he loved him. But some of them said, ah, couldn't the one who opened the eyes of the blind have kept him from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. He said, take away the stone. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, there'll be a bad odour, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said to his father, I thank you that you have heard me. I, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of people standing here, that they may, be, may believe that you sent me. When Jesus said this, he called out in a loud voice. And I remember 
doing some study on this in the past, and they said this, the original word about a loud voice is it's used of horses that charge into battle. So this isn't Jesus just slightly upset. This is Jesus in full-on battle mode when faced with death. So he's, he's calm. He's in control of this whole situation. He's waited to get there. But when confronted with death and he sees the destruction it, 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 it brings to the, the world and the people he created, he goes into full-on battle mode and he says, Lazarus, come out! And this always makes me laugh because Lazarus is full of grave clothes, but it says Lazarus comes out. And I don't know about you and how you read the Bible, but I mean, you're full of grave clothes. Coming, Lord, you know, here I come. What would it have been like? And it says that they actually had to unwrap the grave clothes. And basically in doing that, Jesus showed that he has the power over death. But also it says later on that the powers that be in Jerusalem, this was like the final straw. They didn't deny that Jesus could raise people from the dead. They're like, man, if people hear about this, everyone's going to turn to him and the Romans are going to kick off and we're going to lose our power. We've got to get rid of this guy. So raising Lazarus from the dead temporarily because he would die again later, but he'd been dead four days, so he was definitely dead, led to Jesus' death. And just a few things with this. When facing the death of a loved one, Jesus knew he was going to raise him from the dead and had the power over, the, over death. But he, is, he weeps, he gets angry, um, he has a full range of human emotion. When we face the death of a loved one as a Christian, yes, we know that there's hope beyond the grave, but it is not meant to be. Death is still an enemy. We can have the full range of human emotions. We don't... <laughs> People can get angry at death and what it does. Get off my loved one. That's why Jesus came, to say, I'm going to break the power of you, death. Lazarus, come out. We can grieve. We can't dictate to someone else how they should handle death, how they should grieve. Some people go into sort it out mode. I shut down. That's what, I've, when faced with potential death, I shut down. I go numb. And it's some people around me and family go into do-it mode. And they can't understand me. And it causes real tension. Why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, I just can't even breathe. I can't think. I can't. We mustn't dictate to people and put on them how we think they should be coping and handling it. We point them to Jesus. And we just love them through it. So that's the pain of a friend. It's po- probable that Jesus also went through the death of his father, but the Bible doesn't tell you anything about that, so we don't need to know that. That Raising that Lazarus from the, the death, from dead, that led to his own death. So when we look at Jesus' death, and this is something I want to come to, Jesus was uh, punished for the sins of the world so that his death would bring life. We know that. And it says when he's on the cross, there were two uh, criminals, and you weren't crucified for misdemeanors. These are serious criminals. Um, these are people, we probably go, oh, they deserve it. I love it. We're so judgmental, aren't we? They deserve it because we don't know their background. We don't know why. And yes, it's outrageous when people do heinous crimes. But one of the criminals who was hang there, hanging there on one side of Jesus was hurling abuse at him, saying, aren't you God's king, the Christ? Save yourself then and us, he said. Um, but the thief, the criminal on the other side responded and said, you be quiet. Don't you fear God? We're under the sentence of death and we deserve it. 
he's done nothing wrong. And as he was saying this, he said, he turned to him, faith came. When Jesus' bloodied body on the cross, when he looked at his weakest moment, he was still reaching out and saving people. Faith came. And the criminal said, Jesus, the person said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus turned to him and said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I don't want them to, I don't want them to go to paradise. He's a criminal. Good people don't go to heaven. You know that, don't you? God people do. You can't get there through your own works and efforts. You get there through the saving work of Jesus Christ. But there has to be a genuine repentance and turning to him. Several things about Jesus' death, and I haven't got time to read all the scriptures. Jesus, he wasn't Robert Powell, you know, in the Jesus movie, for some of you that are older. He didn't face his death like, I'm the son of God, I can handle death, follow me. It wasn't like that. It says he was so stressed about facing his death that he was so anxious that blood capillaries seemed to burst in his forehead and blood came out. Now, if you're, if you're stressed at the idea of death and what you're going to face, probably not as much as Jesus was. I love it. He gets our stress. I love it. He's not standoffish. He's not untouched by the death of a friend or by his own death. He found it difficult. He wasn't looking forward to it. He wasn't, but he was really looking forward to what it would accomplish and what would come afterwards. And I think it's a bit like that for us, isn't it? As Christians, we can really look forward to what's coming afterwards. We're just not such a fan of the mode of transport to get there. So, Jesus found it difficult. He wasn't untouched. He talked with God, his Father, honestly and openly about it. Can you remove this cup? Is there any other way? But in his stress and his humanity, he found some peace with God and said, but not my will, yours be done. We mustn't approach death trying to force our will on people. We're looking for God's will in it. And sometimes he heals and he saves. And sometimes he takes you by the hand and walks with you through it. We have to be careful not to lose faith, but we mustn't force our will on what we think should happen on other people. It's God's will we're looking for. And I love this. He built his faith on the word of God and the character of God. People are often quoting, my God, my God, why did you forsake me? It's like Jesus is all over the place on the cross. No, he's not. He's quoting from the Psalms which if you read through, have resurrection promise at the end. He's in full charge and control, experienced the agonizing pain of somehow the first time his father in heaven doesn't answer his prayer, but he's quoting something saying, but I know what's coming. I know resurrection's coming, life's coming. I know what I'm winning for my people. And at the cross, at his final hours, he turns to the, the ones he loves and he says to his best friend and his mother, he says, Here's your mother, here's your son. He's thinking of others and making preparations for loved ones, even as he faces death. When you are facing death, if you're thinking about your loved ones, that is Christ-like. That's just what Jesus did. And in Jesus' death, he, he saved one of the thieves on the cross, one of the guys on the cross that was a criminal. 
When you face death, it's not true that you're out of God's plans, you're unuseful in his kingdom, and God can't use you. You can be on your deathbed and God can save people through you. That's how he works. Because when you're facing death, suddenly stuff got a whole lot real. It got a whole lot real, didn't it? So when you walk with God, showing the full range of human emotions, ups and downs, people see and people know, wow, wow, they must know something I don't. God can use you right at the moment when you're facing death. It's more like, it's more like when you face death, I think. There's a big show and suddenly the lights go down and everyone leaves the stage and you're centre stage and the spotlight comes on and it all goes quiet and everyone leans in and watches. It's more like that. You are centre stage in his purpose and plans. You are in the apple of his eye, the very epicentre as the storm rages around you of his love. It doesn't always feel like that, I know, which is why it's so important to declare it. I don't think Jesus particularly would have felt that in his humanity in the Garden of Gethsemane. But somehow he got hold of God and he knew it on the cross. It seems to me that in facing death, whether you have an up or down, whether you're a fixer or whether you go numb, the key thing is faith in Jesus. That's the deciding factor in death. No more, no less. Trusting Jesus with your life seems to be the most important thing you can do on planet Earth. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Um, and I don't know how you feel about this, paradise, heaven. It's, a, it's a, a picture of Eden. And you may not be here and you may not believe in heaven. You say, I can't see it, what are you talking about? I've got a quick illustration for you. Claire, could I borrow you? If you come and just put you up here a minute, or here, so you can be seen. Can you go around and get up there? Is that all right? So can you, can you go around again? Can you sit on this chair and sit as still as you can? And I want you to tell me if you think Claire is sitting still. Right, tell me if you think Claire is sitting still. And we're going to need uh, a picture in a minute to come up on the not just yet. Hands up if you think she's sitting still. Okay? She's sitting still, isn't she? That's the truth. That's the reality, isn't it? That's like earth. That's like what we see. I'm a materialist. I believe in what I can see. Thank you. But while you're sitting there, watch this. If we can have the slide up. You're sitting on a globe that rotates once a day at just about 1,000 miles an hour and orbits the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. Check you out. Not so still anymore, is she? That's also true. Thank you, Claire. Please give her a little clap. Thank you. She didn't know she was going to do that. So if something as tangible as us on this planet can be living in two realities at the same time, heaven is real. It's all around us. We might not feel it. We might not see it. But it is all around us. It's not Star Wars. It's not in a galaxy far, far away. It's all around us. Every major civilization ever discovered has believed in life after death. Did you know that? More people alive today believe in some form of life after death than don't. So to just dismiss it, you're in a minority of history and a minority on the globe. I'm not doing that to put, I'm just doing it because we've had so many people confidently asserting, you know, we're past all that. And I just think, whoa, slow down, really? Jesus said it. Humans have believed it. Not, not Christians, humans. They've, they've 
realise that there's more life beyond death. But most importantly, and I'm not surprised they do, because when you read the Bible, heaven breaks in all the time. This other world breaks in all the time. There's Jacob's ladder. I don't know if that's heaven or not, but Jacob is, that's Abraham's grandson. He's there, and he suddenly, things are open up, and he sees uh, sort of uh, a ladder between heaven and earth with angels going up and down. There's Joshua, who's fighting for the Lord's army, and they're about to have a battle, and he's like, I'm in charge, and suddenly this warrior of light appears and Joshua's like are you for us or against us I mean it's just ridiculous and he's like do you not know who I am and Joshua's like whoa you're the commander of the Lord's armies the heavenly hosts there's Isaiah's vision of a throne um, that the king was uh, of at that time was dying and so stability was on the line and Isaiah's uh, part of the court of the king and he's worried about it. He has this vision of the Lord and the train of his robe fills the temple well, what's that about where'd that come from there's Daniel's life. I mean, there's people being chucked in fires that, when they, as a punishment, and the people throwing them in die because it's so hot, and they're walking around in the fire with one like a son of man. And a king who doesn't know God or believe in God sees it. He's chucked in with a load of lions, and somehow their mouths are kept closed. There's the stoning of Stephen, and as he's having this near death experience, he says, I see heaven open and the Son of Man at the right hand of God. They're like, blasphemy. It's like, no, I see it. I'm just telling you what I see. There's Paul who says, I know a man who was caught up into the third heaven. I don't know whether I was in my body or not. And I saw things that were so incredible. But God said, just put a lid on it for a while because you've seen too much to be able to share. There's John on the Isle of Patmos, exiled because he believes Jesus. And we get the whole of Revelation. He hadn't had magic mushrooms. He says, on the Lord's day, and I heard a voice, and I turned around, and suddenly the heaven around us was real. And I saw stuff, and I wrote Revelation. Yeah, and it was written in some coded words. I remember there was a woman in our church in Silver Hill, and uh, she was there just before some guys did an attack on someone. And when they were caught by the police, they asked why they didn't attack her, because she'd been on the phone in Silver Hill. And they said, I'm not attacking her. Do you see the two guys with her? Two big guys, there's no one with her. It's like angelic protection. I remember coming out of work one day. I worked at Bus Foods, not, not with us anymore. And I was coming up the hill, and there's a guy coming towards me. And the Holy Spirit said to me, that guy's going to talk to you. Basically, you need to stop and talk to him. And I'm like, okay. And as I'm walking up, as he gets near me, he goes, it's outrageous, isn't it? It's out of order. My marriage is all broken up. And I remember being in the town centre, and there's this huge guy sitting in the town centre. And God said, talk to him. And I am not big, in case you hadn't noticed. I was like, oh, okay, so I went into a record shop. That's a long time ago. Building Up Courage came out, and I sat down, and I said, look, I know this is a bit weird, but I think God's told me to speak to you. He says, oh, I'm an American basketball player. I've just come over here. I'm a Christian, and I'm so lonely. I remember walking on the seafront, and God said, talk to this guy, and I'm like, not a chance. Walked past, and I said, right, I'm going to walk quite a long way, and if he's still there when I go back, I'll talk to him. So I turned around, and I'm walking back. He's still there. Yay! Oh. Go up to him and I just said, look, I just I come down here, I'm a Christian, I've been praying and I felt God, the Holy Spirit told me to talk to you. He says, I'm out of prison for a few days, I've become a Christian in prison and I'm being mercilessly bullied and I've just been thinking I'm going to do a bunk, which means he's going to get in more trouble. And so I walked into my house, I gave a book by Noel Fellows, who was a policeman who was arrested, falsely imprisoned and became a Christian. What's, what's all that? It's not coincidence, is it? I didn't even want it to happen, I was scared. Heaven is all around us. 
Jesus seemed to believe in heaven. He said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. I have told you that I go and prepare a place for you. And if I prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with myself, that you may be with me also. I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though they die, shall live. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. An hour is coming when all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I think it's a bit hasty to dismiss the possibility of heaven and life after death with all we've looked at. The belief of history, the testimony of the Bible, the words of Jesus and the ongoing experiences of people like myself today. So what's it like? And you put up the DIY SOS. What's it like when you die? This is the good bit. What is it like when you die? Have you ever seen DIY SOS, the big build? I mean, Nick Knowles was here, wasn't he, not so long ago. Um, and in the big build, what they do is they go to somewhere, which is a dwelling place. But it's probably got a little bit run down. It's become unfit for purpose. It, it needs upgrading. It needs love. It needs TLC. Where we go is like that. This is not it, and hold on as long as you can, because you don't want to go there. It's not like that. This is the run-down version. It is. This world is racked by uh, greed and sin and decay. We're getting the good stuff. It's DIY SOS. I'd love a house that's designed by Nick Knowles and his crew. Much prefer one designed by Jesus. He knows us pretty well. He knows what you like. He's, he said, I go to a, prepare a place for you. What is that going to be like if the living God's preparing it for me? We bought a house which had been done up from top to bottom and back to front. And somehow it's like they did it just for us because it fits us perfectly. I know what it's like for someone to go, ta-da, come in and have a home prepared for you. It's wonderful. We took the pictures off. So they, they took the pictures off. We just put the pictures up of ours. We didn't have to bang any nails in. We didn't, there's power all outside. So we can sit outside and have music. And, but everything is thought of. That's what It's like pimp my world. It's not going to be worse. It's a place called paradise, which really is a word that refers back to Eden. It's a place where God and man dwell. And um, let's just think about this. If we can put up the slide, please. Um, of the journey. It's like this. The Bible talks about death in a couple of ways. It talks about wrapping up a tent ready to move on. It talks about getting on a boat, going on a journey. There's several metaphors. It's like this. When you die, your spirit leaves your body. So it's like going on a journey. So you, it's like being on the dockside and people wave you off and the handkerchiefs are out and there is pain. There is pain. I am not going to see them. There is pain. But the moment your spirit leaves your body, there is an arrival at the other end. I was talking to Dennis Noland, who um, used to teach me when, his, when I was younger, so it's all his fault, um, was a Baptist pastor, but now attends church here. And he was talking about when he used to go to Africa, and he's leaving his loved ones. And there's a pain about that, particularly when your kids are younger. You're not going to think you're going to be away from them. But he arrived in Africa, and there's this reception party so pleased to see him. So it's like that. If you are the one dying, you shut your eyes in one place and you are awake in another place. And you are not alone. You are not. There is welcome. 
there is celebration. Jesus won another one. Here's another one that's come through death. Come into the place prepared for me. And it seems to be, it's a bit difficult because in the Bible, in the Bible there is life after, life after death. You go to a place called paradise. Really, it's, it's like a, that word really means something like Eden. But you don't have a body. So somehow it's real but not physical. And you sort of wait there until God's going to make all things new one day. So that's a bit bizarre, isn't it? And what I think it doesn't help us share our faith with non-Christians, because we're a bit like, oh, I'm looking forward to the new heaven and the new earth. I have no idea about the wobbly woo bit in the middle. So I don't know how to explain that, because I haven't got a body. I think it's a bit like that. And we need to have some confidence in this. So here's a lot of this bits in here all about heaven. But here's when I've been reading what I think it's a bit like. Let's find where my notes go. It's incredible, and the writers that try and explain it just pile up word after word after word and just run out of ideas. Um, it's an upgrade. Here we go. You're there. Others are there. Jesus is there. The throne is there. Activity is there. History's unfolding from there. The prayers of the saints rise to there. There are spiritual beings such as angels, cherubs and seraphs there. Um, it's full of love. It's full of light. And it's full of life. We will be more alive in one sense than we are now because we won't be restrained by sin and all the things that hold us back. It seems to be every time heaven is touched in Scripture before the new heaven and earth, it seems to be that although we don't have bodies, we do have a form. And I hadn't really thought about this before, but we seem to have a form because Moses and Elijah turn up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. It seems like people knew who they were. They weren't like, what's that funny cloud thing? Oh, I feel this sense of love. No, Moses and Elijah were there. It seems to be there is a form. It seems to be that we are recognisable and yet different. It seems to be that we are able to communicate and talk, hear, see. It seems to be that we're involved. We are not having a giant, it's not an endless sermon, so don't worry. And it's not just a great big sing-along, although there is worship. And anyone who likes playing and singing, man, it's going to blow your socks off. It is better by far, Paul says. And don't worry about missing people, you know, mums in the room and stuff, dads. People won't be your children anymore. They'll be your brother and sister. Okay? Your partners won't be your husband or your wife. They'll be your brother and sister. And it's like this. You will see them perfectly like you've never known them before. It says we will know and be fully known. Somehow we're going to know Jesus in a way we, beyond what we know now. But other people as well. When you see them, they won't be obscured. We don't even really fully know ourselves because sometimes we surprise ourselves. We will be pure and perfectly who we're supposed to be. And when you see them, you're going to be, oh my goodness, what a wonderful person. I would love to get to know that person. It's like they will be so full of love and pure that being in even their presence will be life-giving, let alone Jesus's. There won't be one moment on this earth as good as every moment there. And I remember when my first son was born and I thought I might die through emotion. 
There won't be one moment here that's a patch on up there. That's what it's like. There's no fear. There's no suffering. There's no sadness. There's no regret. There's no disappointment. So, we depart from here and we arrive there and it is amazing. No one goes there and thinks, I want to go back. I've got unfinished business. You don't. You are captivated. And you're not just captivated by Jesus, although you are. You're captivated by the place. You're captivated by the people. You're captivated by the activity, but Jesus is there. When we went to the Philippines, I'll finish with this. My wife and I, we went to the Philippines uh, to see uh, our friends, Howard and Rosie, who were members of this church, uh, who Alid and Lou, who helped, used to help lead this church, have gone to be with. We left Heathrow Airport and we were going to the Philippines. That was our destination. And if I can have the picture of uh, Singapore. We stopped off in Singapore. And I think paradise is a bit like this. Singapore is in Asia. It's definitely not Europe. It's in Asia. And all the things that Asia's got are in Singapore. And it's wonderful and it's new and there's stuff you can do to experience. It's real and you are really there and it's epic. But one day it will be closed with physical reality. One day our bodies will be closed with physical reality. The difference is this. When we got to Singapore, Howard and Rosie weren't there. They were in the Philippines. When we get to paradise, when we die, Jesus is there waiting for us and when he makes all things new we will go to continue to be with him finally this doesn't dampen our grief or lessen our pain so we are free to grieve as deeply as deeply as we can for as long as we need but as we're grieving we're not grieving like the world does because what a hope Jesus has won for us our pain is just and deep, just as deep and real as the world, just as overwhelming at times, but our hope is real and everlasting.